Hi everyone, it's Adam from Monkey Tennis here. Just saying a huge thank you to all of you that have supported my charity appeal uh, so far. For those that haven't heard about it, this September I'm going to be swimming uh, 15 kilometres uh, between five islands in Cornwall. Uh, I'll be swimming the Isles of Scilly. That's Scilly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. Um, I'm doing it because I want to, but also to raise money for Calm, the campaign against living miserably. It's a well-known statistic that 125 people in the UK die by suicide every week, and Calm run a free and confidential helpline for people to speak through their problems and ultimately to help prevent suicides. Um, I'm looking to raise enough money to train two new phone workers um, to man those lines um, and I'll be doing it by swimming the Isles of Scilly in Cornwall. Um, if you're looking to support me, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, you can donate at justgiving.com. Um, just go there and search for Adam Swim Silly. That's Adam Swim Silly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. All donations greatly appreciated. Thank you for helping me to support Calm. And now, on with monkey tennis. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Aha! Damn! Back of the net. Monkey tennis? In no way, you big spastic, you're a mentalist! Damn! Type my house noise. Monkey tennis? I got, uh, really drunk last night. Sick everywhere. Monkey tennis? Uh, minor criticism. More distance between the eggs and the beans. Monkey tennis? I wish things had turned out differently, but I'm glad they didn't. Monkey tennis? Where's my assistant? I do not know. You're all packing. Basically, beef tea. Yeah, 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 yeah. Are you on an E? Monkey tennis? Can I have a glass of water, please? Hello everyone and welcome to Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast. As the great man himself says, the people who enjoy Alan Partridge will enjoy this podcast. The people who never got it still won't get it. I'm Adam Brooks and I'm joined by Tom Dark. I'll be leafing through the fat socks, buy a couple of pairs, chuck them in a drawer when I get home. Love it. Nick Alder. Bring, bring. And Tom Stab. I'm going to make myself a big beef burger and watch Thunderball. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the reason we're here, we're very excited. There's obviously new Alan, and we'll get onto that in just a second. But before we do, we have some big news of our own. Uh, inspired by lockdown and other lesser quizzes, we've created the Alan Partridge fan quiz, and it'll be happening online very soon, and you're all invited. Uh, so the details, it's happening on Wednesday, June the 24th at 8pm. You'll be able to watch it either on YouTube or on Facebook, uh, and we'll be covering almost the entire world of Partridge across six fiendish rounds. Um, so yes, we're very excited. Uh, you're invited to sort your Partridge pals into teams and join us. Uh, and on YouTube, you just search for Monkey Tennis Podcast and you'll find our channel. And why not subscribe while you're there to make sure you don't miss it. 
or on Facebook, you head to facebook.com slash thepartridgepod and you can take part there. Uh, if you can't make that time, 8pm on Wednesday, the June, June the 24th, don't fret, the whole quiz will be archived so you can take part wherever you like. Yeah, looking forward to that. I think um, I think we want to put a call out to people to get like their mates together, teams together, dress up as Alan, get props in, like if you want to get a Toblerone or uh, if you want to drink Lady Boys during yes. it. Send us That's pictures. Want we want to see all of them. Um, hashtag Alan Partridge fan quiz. Send them in and we'll we'll share the best ones. But I think it'd be great if we could get some people sort of doing it all together and, you know, getting into the spirit of things and, you know, like I say, dressing up as Alan, getting loads of props in, just having a ruddy, bloody good time. Yeah, and I guess we'd encourage you to either do it in a group with mates or with the people you're in your house with or, you know, get get some other mates and you, you could be playing against them and see who gets, a, gets the biggest score. A great opportunity to get your 104 friends together. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having to be really careful now. I'm worried that I'm giving away answers to questions in this quiz. I don't, uh, we'll, uh, we'll see. Let's we'll stop see. it there. Yeah. Um, so shall we move on to the main order of business, which is that Alan now has his own podcast, uh, a mere three or four years after ours. Four uh, years. Yeah. <laughs> after we to be a trail. trail. <laughs> yeah, proud to be trailblazers. Uh, so, um, yeah, Tom Stab, you've got a bit of information, haven't you, about, about From the Oast House, how it's come to be and uh, what's going on. Yeah, so we first got wind of this in February when um, Steve Coogan was on the promo trail for Greed. Um, he originally said that it was going to be going out next month, meaning March. So obviously there's been a bit of a, I don't know, delay or whether Steve was uh, getting a bit ahead of himself and it wasn't quite ready. I don't <laughs> know. from the hip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, obviously now we've got um, we've got this teaser episode, which um, which they've put out ahead of the release of the full series in September, September 3rd, I believe. I think that's right, isn't yeah. it? Um, and... I guess my question is, do we think that was always sort of the plan to put this teaser episode out or whether it's because of lockdown, coronavirus, people are at home a lot. It's a good opportunity to sort of get it out there while people have got some downtime to be able to listen to it. I would suggest that whilst Alan is obviously quite synonymous now with audiobooks and has a home on Audible, Audible probably are still trying to establish their credentials within the podcast world. And they've obviously been able to do that firmly with Alan. And, you know, why not show people um, how good the kind of uh, product is and kind of get people um, engaged with it? So I imagine it's probably a little bit of both, uh, to be totally honest with you. Yeah, and I think it's, um, you know, obviously there are little kind of audible promotional intros and outros on the episode as we've heard it, which obviously they've added on recently because they do they do address COVID-19 COVID or COVID-19, as Alan calls it. Uh, which I think it, it was a good step for them to do because it would have been odd for them to not reference it. But obviously, I, I guess the reality of it is, I would assume if Coogan was saying back in February that it was ready for release, I'd assume they must have written and recorded this across last year. So it would be quite odd to not reference the pandemic and the lockdown in any way. But obviously, in terms of the actual, I think is what, 18 episodes, it's not going to be referenced in the actual content. So I quite like the way... They've they've got to that straight away with the very with the very first like couple of minutes of this, and potentially eighteen episodes. If we take the first one as an example, that's going to run to almost the length of an audiobook. So mm. probably con content wise, we are talking something that's equivalent to I Partridge or Nomad. Yep, great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm keen. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got the uh, if you go onto Audible's website and go to the page for um, for the podcast, there's a there's a brief summary sort of um, written about the release. So I'll, I'll just read that out. 
broadcaster, writer, philanthropa, 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 uh, and one of the first <laughs> philanthropa, <laughs> philanthropa, <laughs> and one of the first public figures to suggest high visibility clothing for people manning temporary car parks. The public <laughs> Alan, the, the public Alan Partridge is cher- is a cherished institution. But what of the unseen Alan? For the first time, this famously private man welcomes us into his home and audibly deshrouds himself for a fascinating series of podcasts. Over the course of 18 generously durated episodes, Partridge grants us full and unfettered access to his off-screen life, brackets within reason. In exchange for a series of payments from Audible, he promises an access all areas past to the nooks and crannies of his hinterland to reveal a wiser, cleverer, more reflective Alan than many more of his more, uh, more vaunted peers have given him credit for. He then sends the resulting podcasts to Audible, ensuring they meet the technical specifications laid down in the contract. <laughs> I love the, uh, the references to sort of... Um, uh, uh, contractual obligations and things that have run throughout the promo for this and also the couple of callbacks there obviously about you know he's describing himself a little bit like a better more sought after broadcaster and again there's a lot always a reference to nooks and crannies as well mm. the I, I crannies was, of himself is one of the, the things he's explored in a book yeah before. i was i was gonna raise those exact points it, it's got all the hallmarks of some gibbons writing mm-hmm. there i think exact, exactly exactly because of all the things you've just raised adam yeah I like that the narrative also suits that, you know, Alan has kind of given up his time in exchange for payments from Audible. Also probably suits the narrative for uh, Mr. Coogan as well, that in exchange for payments from Audible, he's prepared to do this. So uh, it works both ways. Yeah, it, it kind of um, gives you the impression that he's not a fan of having to, to work with them, doesn't it? Yeah, it's like, yeah, I'll do it. But, you know, it's going to cost. Um, I thought it's also worth reading out. There was a tweet that went out on the um, Alan Gordon Partridge uh, Twitter feed. So that's the official uh, Alan Partridge uh, feed on Twitter. Um, And uh, he posted uh, this morning. So that's the 9th of June saying, hello and good morning. Having made a series of podcasts for at Audible UK, I'm obliged to issue six promotional tweets. This is the first of those tweets. (laughs) So listen to an episode free now. Simply shout Alexa, read from the Oast House on Audible directly at her. Thank you. Um, quick, uh, quick update for you on the Twitter feed as well. He's got two hundred thirty-six thousand followers and is only following one person. Do you know who that person is? Yes, uh, yes, <laughs> yes, I saw do. it on Twitter today. Uh, Shakira, which I thought was genuinely brilliant. <laughs> yeah, that, that <laughs> was hilarious, isn't it? Uh, well, I, was say, I thought it might, it might actually be like a Bill Oddie or someone like that. It didn't seem like the natural bedfellow for for the account to follow, but I also like that it is Shakira. It still works. But I kind of like that. It's kind of like a new gag, isn't it? Because having him following someone like Bill Oddie would be a bit obvious, where it's a bit like Alan perhaps in the APU not fully knowing how to use Twitter properly, yeah. so only following Shakira because yeah. he thinks she's sexy or something, but not realising that everybody else can see that. The obvious That's joke a- would have been like the Conservative Party or David Cameron or someone like that, but you're right, it's nice that it's a bit of a rug pull that you're like, oh, following one person, who is it? <laughs> who? What? Shakira? Yeah, Alan doesn't understand what's going hips on. don't lie. That's a, that's a good uh, Twitter follower gag. My other favourite one of those is, have you, have you seen who, uh, I don't know if this is still the case, but certainly was a couple of years ago, who the only accounts that the official KFC Twitter account follows. Oh, I remember this, but I can't remember who it was. It's uh, all of the Spice Girls and seven people <laughs> called Herb. So it's uh, seven yeah. herbs and spices. Uh, I like it. <laughs> that's brilliant. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, and no, I was, I was just going to say that, that that Alan Partridge Twitter account, what I quite like is it kind of lays dormant between projects. So it, it's I think it probably hasn't been used since maybe even Nomad. I don't think it, they even used it, it during this time. It was last used 
It was last used on September the 27th, 2019, um, where he tweeted, every day I receive umpteen questions, open brackets, if not more, close brackets, from fans wanting to know about the real me. And even though that's true, I'm nonetheless soliciting additional questions from you block capitals they will either be used in an exciting forthcoming project open brackets if any close brackets or more likely discarded (laughs) (laughs) see i think i think that's genuine research for this uh podcast right i think i think that's him soliciting you know the sort of the the questions that they got in response to that will be the questions that from the oast house will answer time will tell we can speculate a little bit further there there is form about using real life twitter because uh we found that they'd use some of the tweets um that we used on the digital in this time were real tweets which obviously the production company had just posted themselves for the purposes of that show um but yeah mm. that, that's interesting but i also just like the fact that it's an absolute disdain for the public <laughs> oh always the same always um, shall we get on to the little uh, the little clip that comes before the episode mm. starts? The bit we, we, we've mentioned it briefly that it kind of gives reference to COVID and stuff. But I liked especially that it opens with uh, with the uh, the well worn gambit that we've all heard a million times on adverts by now. We live in challenging times. But what I like is that he then goes on to explain that the challenge is that unless you're a key worker, you're no one. And so basically, he's feeling undervalued yes. because all the attention has <laughs> gone to the NHS and That's care exactly home workers. It. Yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, and yeah, I guess it means you know if key workers are going to be celebrated and focused on, what does this mean for Alan? It means he has to create a podcast to try and wrestle some of that tension back. Yeah, yeah, his his wording is is about having to take a back seat, isn't it? So he's talking, he talks of disc jockeys, light entertainers, t- and TV commentators. So essentially, the three things that he considers himself to be, uh, having had to take a back seat, and he says that's fine for a time, but the wider public are clamouring for something more. <laughs> Um, in his words we 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 speculated previously on what sort of the content of this podcast would be like would it would it be something where alan feels like he has to do a podcast doesn't really like them um but feels like he has to do one and that kind of is come to light come come to pass because um i did enjoy the um the quote about what has inspired alan to do the podcast and it's not other podcasters because he doesn't listen to those (laughs) <laughs> so it's uh so so that kind of goes in line with our theory that he's he feels like he needs to do this like adam says to get attention back on himself but mm. he doesn't actually really want to do it so actually in a way weirdly the the covid19 pandemic actually gives it the perfect context which is you know obviously purely mm. unintended unless if the gibbons brothers are part of a massive international conspiracy <laughs> um we can't so, rule it out no <laughs> but it but it gives even even more depth and better context to this little kind of two minute intro piece doesn't it because obviously i think for the first maybe two and a half minutes of what we've heard through alexa that is basically a two and a half minute bolt-on which is essentially the audible promo um Mm. but yeah that's very Mm. interesting because without it i don't know whether they would have done a similar piece anyway without the context of covid behind it perhaps but um yeah it does kind of tear it up perfectly because and I, I did enjoy definitely that it's it's a minute in where he says, uh, inspired not so much by the podcast because I tend not to listen to those. It's like, yeah, I, I'm I'm surprised it even took that long for him to have a dig at podcasting. <laughs> of course, and he already has on this time yep. making fun of uh, Simon and Lucy's mm-hmm. Doctor yep. Who watch along. Um, so he refers to Audible and how to access the podcast, and I thought it's it is quite interesting given what we know about Steve Coogan's attitudes to things like uh, phone hacking and tax evasion that recent tie-ups have been with sky and amazon 
uh, follow the money, companies. Adam. Always I follow mean, the money. <laughs> I was going to say, I guess, I guess it's it's a case of Alan is free to plug them, while Steve never would. There's kind, you know, and I suppose it's just the cost of doing business. You know, there are only so many places that will put content out in 2020. Yeah, I mean, I it I think it is interesting as a as a podcaster and a podcast fan. It's kind of, I think it's fair if some people are slightly irked that it is a paid for podcast because there are other ways they could have done it. It could have been published far and wide and with adverts but i guess they felt that would perhaps cheapen the output of what they're doing because i think it is interesting like we say essentially you can kind of look at this like it's another audiobook really and i think when you think about it like that it makes much more sense in terms of it's released through audible it's a paid for product if it was alan week on week doing a podcast potentially almost in real time that would have felt like quite a different product and that would have felt perhaps weird if you couldn't just go on to apple or spotify and find it i also think they're going to continue to commission these high profile mm. podcasts which in effect as you say this is almost more of an audiobook than it is a podcast mm. it's just being labeled as and builds a podcast but in reality it probably sits as something much more professional much more slick um but i think that you're going to see audible do a lot more of these high profile shows with high profile talent that in reality don't really fit the mold of what you would consider a podcast to be which is a bit more diy for want of a better word but also i guess that <laughs> is where podcasting was, yeah that is where <laughs> podcasting is, is maybe moving towards so yeah. um, we we know what Alan uh, isn't inspired by, but can do you have a note on what he is inspired by? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, I've got this list, but I think you, you should uh, do it. So it's three things: it's a dog leaping to catch a stick, a ballerina doing brilliant <laughs> ballet, <laughs> and a forklift truck driver steering one-handed while smoking. <laughs> Superb. Yeah, all examples that all examples that he gives of the excellence that's all around us. <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> Um, also, uh, just on the title, did anybody else have to look up what an oast house was? Yes, I certainly did. Yeah, yeah, I, I recognised it, um, but didn't uh, didn't wasn't familiar with exactly what it was. So, uh, for listeners who are unfamiliar, it's a building designed for kilning hops as part of the brewing process. But I think, and perhaps this is a, a, an intentional thing, uh, they're only really called oast houses in Kent and Sussex, and we know that that's not where Alan is. So he's incorrectly titled his own house. Where he is, it's probably more likely to be called a hop kiln. But from the hot kiln, <laughs> that doesn't, doesn't sound quite right, does it? I also looked at Google Trends, just thinking that the announcement of this podcast might have caused Oast House to soar in ratings, but it's actually <laughs> lower than ever. <laughs> They've never been less popular. I, I was just going to say, it just occurred to me that, that those three things... What, the dog, the ballerina and the uh, truck driver? Yeah, and the, yeah uh, the, truck driver. the dog, the ballerina, the forklift truck driver. What I can, What that really brings to mind is, if this was televised by Pear Tree Productions, that's the montage that opens the show to demonstrate the excellence of Great Britain, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely, or like, yeah. A, like a one-show star montage, but made by Alan. So the good news is, for us recording this podcast and everyone listening to it at the moment, Alan has checked the government guidelines and he's happy to confirm that COVID-19 can't be transmitted <laughs> through smart speakers or earphones. Yeah, and uh, finally, uh, I did enjoy the kind of very laborious, heavy-handed metaphor about this being like a, a free piece of cheese. <laughs> could, could just essentially say this is you know, a free episode. Hope you like it. It's available on September the 3rd. It had to be kind of like woven into this really heavy-handed, laborious metaphor. I did also but... enjoy the dig at the uh, marketing community as well, um, <laughs> pointing out that order and pre-order are essentially the same things. Take that marketing yeah. community. I, I thought that was superb. Ouch. Uh, because, yeah, like... you. When it's when it's a digital item, if you're ordering it, you're ordering it. You it will be delivered when it's delivered. But 
pre-ordering as a term I've always thought is absolute nonsense. You're ordering it, man. <laughs> um, I did, did note as well uh, with the Wheel of Cheese, it's wheel. So you've got some very good oh, Partridgean no, no. pronunciations coming in here. A phantom H. Yep. Um, so on to the main episode, and Alan opens it with an argument over his dog's stick. Uh, I, was, I was on his side with this debate. I think, I think it's fair enough. That was his dog's stick. The other dog shouldn't have taken it. Agreed. Well, I mean, bigger yes, my... but I can tell you in the world of dogs, it's never that easy. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, is it to, are we to assume that this is um, seldom? You think mm. so, but not mentioned by name. Hopefully we'll have more of seldom uh, in, in future episodes in September. Yeah, I mean, seldom's that... quite a big dog, right? And, yeah. they, and Alan says that the host house is quite small, so the, the <laughs> potential for like seldom banging into the table or knocking over the recording device or Alan falling over him is is high. And Alan falling over is always funny, as we'll get to in this episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, he said um, he said that he doesn't listen to other podcasts, but um, it's been mentioned on Twitter, and also I thought it when watching this that the opening of this bears a very close resemblance to uh, Adam Buxton's podcast, yeah. where he walks his dog Rosie at the start of every episode. Hundred percent, and it, it, I think there, there is. I think there are some gags like that where it's kind of double layered. It's it's one is it kind of a bit of a knowing nudge wink to the podcast community, like oh we know what he's what he's emulating. Mm. But there's also the you can also take it as the APU type joke where he, in the APU he's listened to Adam Buxton and gone I'm going to make a podcast like that. It it kind of works on two levels if you see what I mean. I was also going to say um, the dog stick bit when he's saying, "Can you tell him to put it mm. down?" He does it in the the Alan tiny sad voice that we referenced before. Mm. But the sort of put it down. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I guess actually the first gag in this episode is that the first episode of From the Oast House doesn't take part in any way in the Oast House. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I hadn't even thought of that. <laughs> Absolutely. And also, are we going to call this photo wap? For to wap, I would just go for Oast House personally. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to stick to Oast House. Um, he tries to demonstrate his knowledge of the beloved countryside with some facts. Uh, so I went through and rigorously fact checked his facts. Uh, he claimed that dry stone walls in Cornwall are over 7,000 years old. Uh, that is true. Um, uh, British magpie population, he says, quadrupled in recent years. Yes, according to the RSPB website. Most badgers don't have TB, according to the Animal Aid site. Yes, that's true. And he also says, if you cut down an oak tree, if you cut an oak tree down on private land, you can still be hanged for it. Now, that one is unclear, although in some US states, you will be liable for triple the value of the tree. So do be careful. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm really glad you fact-checked all those, Adam, because in my notes, I'd put in brackets, must fact-check these later. I haven't done that. <laughs> <laughs> what, I, uh, I do i do I, I do like this intro because obviously you know it's kind of um we're all big fans of the adam buxton podcast and it kind of echoes that and, and that's quite a nice familiar um nice way to sort of intro a podcast but it does sound very much like he is actually out and about walking mm. do we think he recorded this while out and about walking or do you reckon it's sound effects what do we think was like the production here i i would hazard a guess because i i would agree i i think two points one I think the sound production on this is brilliant because I agree it does sound like he's genuinely outside, but I would think they wouldn't take the risk of recording something like this in in the outdoors, exposed to the elements where they can't really control things. I just think they've done a really good audio production job on it. Yeah, otherwise it would have had to have been an outside broadcast and you need a, a sound desk, uh, a psychic <laughs> of some kind, an ex- yeah. exec producer, I don't know what they do. Um, <laughs> 
Um, I liked, there's a little production note, you know, as we've enjoyed with other things that were supposedly made by Pear Tree, there are, there are issues with some of the production. And the first thing I noticed was that he describes the podcast and gives his name. And then the opening theme repeats exactly what he's just said. So he's like, I'm Alan Partridge and this is live from the Oast House. And then, and then the same thing is said And it's again. kind of a classic Alan trope though, isn't it? Like overemphasizing his name in the title of the the shows that he does. So you have the theme, the theme in this podcast, which is Alan Partridge from the Oast House with Alan Partridge. It's the the, the doubling down on his own prominence. <laughs> Completely. Uh, I also thought the um the theme it's kind of quite folky. It reminded me a bit of the uh, theme to Dear Joan and Jerrica. If you guys have listened to that podcast at all. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. W- w- worth a listen, I'd say. Recommend that if you like your uh, d- slightly dark and uh, inappropriate humour. Um, so he's rambling, uh, keen to distinguish that he's not just uh, waffling on um, and that it's distinct from Lorraine Kelly, <laughs> who is not a rambler. He, she's a witterer and that's a slightly different thing. I assume the joke here is that he is very much rambling. I mean, this is quite ill-disciplined, this episode. <laughs> and uh, even obviously, though, the production is good. The joke is obviously that the production isn't very good. Um, so I would, I would level at Alan that actually what he is doing in this episode is very much rambling. Yeah, well, I, th- I think the flaw, arguably the flaw, is it's the quality control because it is so rambling. It's literally a collection of kind of random thoughts based on what he sees and what he's thinking about. And yeah, I think arguably in the issue with that would be he should, particularly in episode one, he's introducing the world to his new podcast venture. Arguably in the APU or in the real world, it should perhaps be a more focused episode like I'm Alan Partridge and we're going to go here and look at this and or talk about this. Whereas he's gone... I'm just going for a walk and, oh, I'm going to have a nosy into this house, which is a totally unplanned thing. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely the arrogance of him thinking that he can just hit record, wander off, and whatever happens will be content. Yeah. So, you know, it, it at least starts with him, you know, he's collecting some facts about the countryside, he's kind of talking about the purpose. But yeah, like you say, before you know it, he's wandering into garages, <laughs> and then by the end, you're just listening to him have a phone call with his assistant. So, I mean, there's a yeah. thing, in the real world, it's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> In he the ABU, not so much. Yeah, he goes on to say, oh, I do so love to walk, which might come as a surprise. I was thinking, hmm, yeah, despite the fact that you wrote an entire book about you going on a walk called Nomad. So it's like, <laughs> no surprise there. That, that's what I thought was was, was very interesting. Uh, it, it's not necessarily an oversight. I think it might be quite deliberate, the fact that there are a few times he talks about Nomad. Uh, sorry, there are a few... T- got that totally wrong. There are a few times when he talks about walking... And there is no reference to Nomad at all, which does seem quite surprising considering he wrote a book yeah. about it. Which I do may... think, to be fair, I do you think that's the joke? But yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's but a good I, joke. I, and I think as well, if you followed Alan through the ages, his kind of love of rambling is actually quite well documented because you have um, the it was his Christmas ramble from uh, the 90s. And, you know, there, there's a bit of kind of outdoor walking or rambling in things like Welcome to the Places of My Life and stuff like that. So actually... We do know that he likes walking, but it just made me think about Nomad when I think when we when we covered that at the time and discussed the validity of some of the stuff he talks about. It makes me think, actually, did any of Nomad even happen at all? Well, he Was also it... goes <laughs> rambling in Scissordile. He also has his yeah. Christmas Day walk. Yeah, um, that's what I'm saying. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like these are constant themes that come up. But I guess yeah. that kind of just, you know, really emphasizes the fact it, that it just pff, makes that me think. And I, and I think this is probably is a deliberately layered in joke from the Gibbons brothers. But. I think it's designed to make you question that any, if there's any truth in Nomad at all. Actually, it was a reality of Nomad. He went walking for one day, twisted his ankle and gave up, and then just made a whole kind of book based on based on nonsense. Because we know he's an unreliable narrator, but he's even more unreliable than we may have even dared to imagine. 
Well, the other thing is that to counter those points that you just made about his love of walking, in Nomad, it takes him about half of the book to actually start the walk. And the yeah, other thing is point. that there is, a, there is an actual point in the book where he says that he doesn't actually like walking and prefers to drive. So, like, I don't think any of this is actually to be taken seriously. <laughs> and also, he's just um, like, I do love trees, but then obviously by the end of this, we do know that he goes around kicking the heads off flowers when he gets a bit down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think it's time to tackle probably the biggest uh, the biggest shockwave, the biggest reveal of this episode. Spoiler alert uh, for anyone who hasn't listened to this, by the way, of what's about to come up. Yeah, for those of us that have been waiting for a bit more news about Alan's personal life, it came in the form of those three magic words, my wife's friend. Mm. So he is married now, again. Well, yeah, just casually dropping means- that in. Yeah, and this is the third or fourth wife, I think, depending on whether you believe in the Canadian zombie <laughs> wife. And obviously there was Carol. Um, presumably this, I mean, ob- I'm hoping we'll find out more about his wife's identity. Presuming it's not Angela. Angela is, that relationship is dead and buried. Um, I assume so. And I guess just for a, a quick bit of context, we find out that Alan basically, he goes on a bit of a cycling rant, but we find out that he has his own bike with a basket and a bell and he'll often go into, ta- into town and... Uh, uh, ring the bell at various different people. One of them being um, is it his wife's friends. It's not his yeah. wife, is it? Yeah, it's his yeah, wife's, wife's friends. Friend. Yeah, uh, bring, bring, um, and my wife's friend. All the chap yeah. who works in the garage. Yeah, um, I don't. I mean, it's not Angela. Is is my take? It's it's someone new, and I would hope that we will find out more about them because I don't think the Gibbons would just drop something like that in and never reference it. I think, or would they? <laughs> I think. I think we almost certainly will find out because in the uh, little bit at the start of the episode, he promises some insight into his home life, work life, love life and the pond life that criticised yes. me online. So he's literally promised us some yes. tidbits. I, I think it's it, it's clearly, I would say, this is a very deliberate thing from the Gibbons brothers to drop this in so soon because I think probably it's been the biggest talking point so far. Because also what's funny is I didn't even clock this on the first listen. It was the second listen. I was I was literally out and I just stopped what I was doing and me- sent you guys a message saying, holy shit, and stabs immediately, like, I know what you're going to say. So it's definitely <laughs> the huge talking point in the fan base. And yeah, there, there's no way that it would be like a mistake either. Like it's, you know, it, it's too much of a big thing to just get wrong. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting that it is kind of dropped like that and there's no further detail given. I mean, the... I think one other way you could possibly interpret it, but I don't think this would be right, is that is that just Alan giving an example of a fictitious idyllic scene? I think it seems unlikely. Oh, I see. Like it's abstract. Yeah. Like a a fictional wife. A hypothetical wife. It becomes very real when he's then talking about Graham, the person (laughs) who he he goes right up behind him to (laughs) bring his bell because he's complained about Alan idling his car. Uh, So it ends specific, even if it starts... uh, but then actually, that, that that does kind of fit the character quite well. Well, he'll, he'll talk through hypothetical situation, which then develops in it's clearly he actually has a personal grievance about something. So it's not the first That's time we've we yep. seen him do that. But mm. I just feel like the wife thing is such a bombshell. That would be a bit too, bit too misleading to make that as an idyllic example instead of an actual thing. Agreed. Mm. Um, speaking of, uh, of groups that have irked Alan, um, I thought his description of, of, of a particular type of cyclist was very well observed and basically bang on. Uh, that He said they look like retired superheroes that can't yeah. find their capes. Uh, and then he also later describes them as men who look awful. <laughs> what aerodynamic properties do they think they're getting wobbling up a hill at six miles an hour? The whole enterprise is mindless. If the objective was to get somewhere quickly, you'd drive. <laughs> I, I was thinking the exact same thing as someone that, you know, from time to time does enjoy cycling. I was like, 
like that is a a savage put down, but b it's so uh, sharply observed. That it's like, <laughs> yep, I've got almost nothing to say to stand up for the cycling community. They've absolutely been done, and they've been done brilliantly. Yeah, you can't really force it, can you? Um, a slightly, uh, slightly side note here: when he talks about the news agent doesn't know what's going on, the the way he phrased that very much reminded me of the chickens are scared. <laughs> yes, and also him saying the news agents don't know what's going on. What he's describing is just that they now have to sell protein bars <laughs> yeah, to cyclists. It's, just... <laughs> it's hardly the sort of thing that's going to put you in a complete. It's just tail the news agent selling a product to a customer. I think they probably do understand what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> um, at the point that he is talking up the benefits of wellies and the amount of ultimate control they give him, did anybody predict from that that he was literally about to go arse over to? <laughs> no, no, and it's brilliant. <laughs> Listening back to it afterwards, I was like, he is he is really making a big deal about how putting wellies on is, is the equivalent of having like a Range Rover <laughs> on your feet and then he immediately falls over. It's such a shame that this isn't video because... That is that would be brilliant. That would be absolutely gold. It's hilarious in audio form, but I would yep. also like to see it very much. It's um, it reminded me a bit. Is it in um? Oh, I'm getting going to get confused between Welcome to the Place of My Life and Says It All. When's the one when he's trying to get over the gate? Oh yeah, and you can tell from the way it's cut that yeah. he he and kind of fluffed it, it, but they just made is it. Is there not okay. one where he does fall over? I think there probably is. Yeah, but I think there is. I can't remember off the top. I think it's on. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm 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 a big fan of the line, which is. Uh, that's the great thing about the countryside. You can fall over and <laughs> yeah. it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Um, he goes on to talk a bit about the, the medium of podcasting and how it differs from radio. Um, as we've mentioned before, he says, for radio, you need some sort of sidekick, which I quite like because it shows how loosely he's tied mm. to Simon. <laughs> it's not, you know, it's not, no reference to Simon. It's just some kind, anyone will do. Um, and, uh, but also it's sort of a, a tacit admission that he himself is not enough to commandeer a radio show in 2020 there needs point. to be a sidekick he's actually admitting that you do need one yeah that's quite interesting yeah um so was um, it bef- just before he goes into the kind of the the bit about radio versus podcasting is there the line when he says you can't do that in a pair of shoals yes yeah, yeah which yeah. confused yeah. me does he mean shoes or is that a term for footwear that i don't no, know that's it's a brand it's of brand. it's a brand of oh, shoes yeah, it's a shoe brand. okay yeah. I, I was yeah, wondering whether it might be a kind of a classic Alan mispronunciation or something. No. I also liked when he fell over, he goes, I'm fine, I'm fine, <laughs> as if someone else is there, but presumably he's meant to be recording this on his own. I did enjoy um, the point Alan uh, goes on to make about Ofcom and uh, somehow linking them to kind of the Geneva Convention. Um, so kind of, uh, again, making a bit of a joke that podcasting is this kind of unregulated medium, um, whereas radio is obviously he- heavily regulated from, from Ofcom and just the... The, again, the heavy-handed nature of that metaphor and uh, getting himself tied up in all kinds of knots. Yeah, it's great because it doesn't really work, but I, I no. think uh, <laughs> I think that makes the joke better. But the great news is, guys, we're basically we're akin to being in the special forces. We're podcasters. <laughs> we're basically <laughs> special army soldiers. <laughs> Super army um, soldiers. Super, oh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so as Alan says, you can do what you want as long as bad people die or you maintain the listener's interest. You could ride roughshod over human rights Ooh. or ignore <laughs> yeah. Ofcom, and that's as it should be. Um, I noticed throughout this episode, this is the first time it happens, but it happens a few times, and it's no, I've never noticed it before, really, is that his voice, he wobbles, his voice wobbles and it slurs his speech a lot more, almost as if he's kind of 
it gives a bit of a bit of that idea of of an older broadcaster going off on a bit of a rant and kind of losing control of their thread and he sort of he goes very high or very low mm. and and there's just mm. a bit of slurring which I'd never noticed in Alan before. I thought that was simply down to the fact that he's sort of out and about and walking and potentially going up hills or you know going up and down and sort of losing his breath or needing to catch his breath and he's just kind of out and about or it's cold and you know you have to breathe heavily you know or he's wearing a scarf or something like that. I'd, I'd put it down to sort of him being. Put, put down to him rambling, basically. I think it's probably a, a combination oh, okay. of those factors, isn't it? Because I think that the, the, the conceit that he is outdoors having a walk and also he is rambling like he's just sharing his thoughts as they occur to him. So he's not he's not broadcasting in the same way that he would do if he was doing mid-morning matters or something like that. But I do think you're right, Adam. I think there's, there's a kind of a lot of performance in the vocal on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it makes me think of... Um, I don't know, I mean, obviously they didn't do podcasts, but it makes me think of, like a Wogan or a Lynham kind of out of their professional setting and maybe kind of just, you know, letting their voice run free a bit more. Um, I also thought it was fun that he's talking about his love of the countryside. That seems to be the, the, the predominant theme of the whole episode. But then it's revealed that he's only outside recording because rent a killer fumigating the house. Yeah. So he's one of those people that wants to live in the countryside and, and give off that air, but also won't tolerate even a single mouse. I think he says... There's a mouse at home, so he's brought Rent-A-Kill in for, for a single mouse, which in a countryside home is a daily occurrence. That is surely. a fantastic point. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, you're not going to eradicate mice if you're living in an host house in the countryside, are you? No, that's an open invite yeah. to the mouse community. Um, he talks a bit about the host house, doesn't he? Uh, implying that he's all his friends think he's overpaid and that it's too small. Um and then he sort of talks a bit about the tactic he deploys when he's trying to get his point across that people people don't like. He's like basically just saying that if you, if you say anything with a chuckle, with a chuckle, <laughs> then, then people will basically have to yeah. accept it. As yeah, fact. if if you, like, if you want to say something nasty, chuckle it out. They can't take offence. Then you can just knife them. <laughs> uh, and I love the example yeah. about uh, his ex-wife, which I assume is Carol here. Yeah. He says, "Did that to mm. my ex-wife? Don't you go to the gym anymore?" Fantastic writing. Yeah, now this is really interesting yeah. because yeah. that could mean a number of things. Long time, long time fans of Partridge will know that his ex-wife Carol left him for a fitness instructor. So I think there's two possible implications here. The most likely one is that that relationship's over. And so when he says, don't you go to the gym anymore, it's because he knows that she can't because the fitness instructor's but, but there. It, but it works. Or it I could, think it works on both levels, what you're going to say, its appearance as well. It oh, uh, no, I was going to say, oh yeah, it's, oh, I didn't even oh. think of that. Yeah, it's also it's, it's an insult on her yeah. appearance, but also it could even imply that the gym instructor is now too old to be training people and no longer works at the gym. <laughs> or all three. Well, it, it's probably, so many layers. It works as a combo as all three, because if he's insulting her appearance because she isn't working out, but why is she not working out? Because she's not in that relationship anymore or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I, I, I don't know if we really have much to say about this, but also just before we get a bit more into Alan's Oast House, um, when he's giving the examples about... Um, children these days playing indoors playing call of duty and looking at porn uh which means there's no chance of them falling into a gravel pit like they used to so i think (laughs) well i I think there he's kind of referencing those kind of 1970s 1980s public information films oh yeah quite possibly yeah like so you know know, one one would be about the dangers of like railway tracks one would be about the dangers of like quicksand or something Mm. mental like that so yeah in, in alan's mind that means that happened all the time uh, and he follows it up with trees are my porn. Yeah. Yep. I bloody love them. Well, of course we know we know very well from uh, Alpha Papa that porn is Alan's porn. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Osprey. Tree, trees, if anything, are a bonus. Uh, there there, oh, there sure. is such thing as being sexually attracted to trees. I did look it up. It's called dendrophilia. Well, I'm glad that's on your search history and not mine. <laughs> <laughs> and popular enough to need its own category. <laughs> Uh, we get the first theme tune with his singing, uh, like the Sissid Isle theme, where he's basically decided to do it himself, uh, going for a sort of Gregorian, wistful country vibe yeah. and fame. I like Alan's, uh, I like Alan's uh, sung theme tunes. Is it kind of tie in with hmm. the uh, the sausage sandwich song as well? Yep, I like all of them. Oh yeah, very yeah. similar. Yeah, they're they're creating quite um, a, quite good depth to his his uh, singing aspirations, aren't they? I think it's time for us to talk about Alan's Hollywood film <laughs> <Yes>. ideas. <laughs> Two absolutely uh, cracking 40% of an idea ideas. It's, I'm a, sure. it's, a sh- it, it's a shame that we're doing this, uh, we're recording this remotely in, in lockdown, obviously, because it would be great to have Jed in the room with us so we could pitch these ideas to him and see if he would be interested in them. Because as we know, or people may not know at home, but Jed does have some, has been involved with film production in the past. So I'd be keen to know whether these ideas, uh, whether he'd be interested in them or not. Can I just say as well, Adam, you said he's got 40% of an idea. I think that's being exceedingly generous. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. I mean, in one, in, one of these cases, he's, he's, in one of these cases, he's just got a poster, yeah. hasn't he, really? <laughs> so, shall we start with uh, Gethsemane with Liam Gethsemane. Neeson? Uh, Gethsemane. Gethsemane, sorry. Which I had to look no up. No idea what the story is, but I can address that once interest firms up. <laughs> Um, so yeah, did you guys look up what Gethsemane was? Because I was like, I recognised the name, but I wasn't really sure about same, it. same, same. Yeah, yeah. I I knew I did know it had some religious significance, but hadn't really looked up the specifics. Yeah, I mean, in short, Wikipedia told me uh, a garden at the foot of uh, the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. 
So I guess that kind of um, uh, yes. sits with the poster that accompanies the film, which is basically uh, Liam in a biblical robe, uh, looking pensive, in the right hand, some rosary beads, and in his left, a Glock. <laughs> Amazing. I mean, I, it does seem to me like that probably is a film that Liam Neeson would do. He is a man yeah. I would watch. Yeah, absolutely. I like I like the idea that uh, that that poster alone would be enough to firm up interest. <laughs> yeah. So that yeah. Alan can finish finish yeah. the idea. Um, and then the second idea is. Uh, it doesn't even have a poster or a name, but Bruce Willis is an architect <laughs> driving in the rain, wipers going billio, uh, a woman falls into the road in front of him. His accent for this woman is shocking as well. I don't know way. what it's meant sort to be. Of, no. I, I'm guessing it's, it's like, like a sort of southern southern Baptist mm. kind of lady's right. voice. Um uh, and and basically, yeah, she's she's been sexually assaulted, and and Bruce Willis is going to rescue her. Could be played by Halle Berry wearing a blanket or Queen Latifah, in which case you'd need a bigger blanket. Now, I did think, would Alan know who Queen Latifah is? Has she? Because obviously, her career began. Well, clearly, he does. As a, yeah, and he follows well, no, Shakira. But I just thought, does that does that feel a bit inconsistent? I don't know. Uh, I'd like, has Queen Latifah's Hollywood career to, been big enough that it would reach to, someone to like Alan Partridge? When I heard that, though, I was just more troubled by uh, the idea of, of this film. The fact that it's just, like, so loose, but the detail that you do have on it is so sinister. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was just troubled yeah. by the whole thing. I was like, this just sounds worrying, despite the, uh, the fact that Alan goes on to say, it's a good idea. It's a really good idea. <laughs> it just needs some investment. I mean, it reminded yeah. me a bit of his, uh, his uh, play in Mid-Morning Matters with Hannigan. Yep. Particularly yeah. some of his oh, voice yeah, acting. very similar. So he, he likes to warm up for walks by going to a camping <laughs> shop. Primarily, it seems, to scope out the shop assistants. Um, I love this little bit of detail where he basically sort of tests their knowledge uh, by asking, uh, what is it, what the wicking factor of a jacket would be. Yeah. Uh, and if they understand what he means, then they can stick around. But if not, he can wander back if he likes, but I won't be there. I'll be long gone or leafing through the fat it's socks. It's classic partridge snobbery, isn't it? It Like using yeah. intellect as a barometer of like someone's worth. Um, and yeah. just when he doesn't have the information, you know, it's not a problem. But he, he he's always looking to try and get one up on someone by showing that he knows the information that they don't. Um, I just also just love the image of him leafing through the fat socks. That really tickled me. <laughs> and there's so much technical detail prior to that point, and then just saying leafing through the fat socks. And also just the, the, the pitch he paints here, chuck him in a drawer when I get home. Love it. I just really, really grabbed me that. So good. Yeah, it's good. It's it's the first in a series of pretty amazing tangents, isn't it? Because then he's on to talking about Hori McMullen, Jackie <laughs> McMullen's nickname, who drinks in the boxy wheat sheaf. <laughs> then goes into this very long thing about the sad man who mm. sits there and drinks in the window, only makes jokes and puns when someone's around. Uh, it's, it's getting almost poignant, and so that is a perfect time for Alan's first <laughs> <laughs> Yes, and we should definitely keep a Trump count throughout this uh, series, and by Trump, Great I mean idea. Fart, not Donald. Um, yeah, when I was making my notes here... I'd, I, I did kind of just think that in a space of probably about probably only two minutes of audio, what he's talking about jumps around through so many different places. Mm. It almost became quite hard to actually keep track on what, what I needed to make notes on because uh, was it Hoary Mullen? So I think that's a type of flower. And then you've got the Jackie Mullen boxy wheat sheaf thing, because, uh, which was her nickname because she did sports massage. It's like the rambling thoughts are just coming so fast as he's referencing all these other locals and then begins to start imagining like their circumstances, which he has no basis for as well. I mean, it's brilliant. Yeah, but it's the, bit where, the, the bit where he's 
where he's trying to guess what made the man in the yeah. window so sad. Yeah. And, and the idea he came up with was that maybe he had to smother a dog in the Falklands War that was about to give away his location. <laughs> and then there's a whole bit about him rescuing a boy down a well, getting him to recite nursery rhymes, and the boy goes quiet. And, I mean, yeah, it's the, the, so the funny. first and example then, he gives is that perhaps his wife died suddenly, which you think, like, well, that's a bit dark and a bit macabre, but fine. But it, even, it gets even more bizarre as he brings other examples in. It's it, it, it's a weird one, um, and uh, I, lo- I like that he's sort of that, that final bit. He does a massive ramble about the boy down the well, and he goes, well, "We just don't know. We just don't know." <laughs> but do you definitely leave it um, in your podcast. <laughs> possibly some explanation coming up for how he thinks uh, his film ideas are so great is because primarily he's pitching them to a field of cows. Uh, although he does sometimes tell the cows a poem instead of uh, a film idea. I thought um, the, the, and he does a fake moo to attract yeah, I thought them. the mooing was, was reminiscent of him interrupting Peter Baxendale Thomas in series yeah, one of I'm Alan Partridge. Yeah. I, I, I was just visualising that whenever I listened yeah. to that section. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we've had um, we've um, had a chapter on cows in uh, Nomad, right? So, uh, quite simply. Quite simply, <laughs> yeah, quite simply cows. <laughs> Oh, God, you guys. Uh, um, also, <laughs> I, I, I wanted the poem to be worse. I don't know what you thought, but... I, I think it's all right. Yeah, I, I kind of want, I, I, <laughs> I thought it kind of diffused the joke a little bit that the poem wasn't um, worse. But, but I, I think that I think really it lies in... It starts off okay, and it's actually... It's fairly poetic and quite well written, mm. but it gets worse as it gets more literal. Yeah, that's true. So, as it... I think the last, the last line is about swaddled in a coat, but not too big, replete in jumper, chunky socks... So, so by, the, by the last line, it's absolutely yeah, terrible. When you read it like yeah. that, it's yeah, a bad yeah. shit. But um, I, the, the, for me, I think what's going on here is if you listen through the poem, it's using lots of familiar mm-hmm. devices mm-hmm. that are used in poetry but they're not normally all used in one <laughs> poem. So, you know, one minute it's kind of like, yeah, like like mixed metaphors, then it becomes very literal, then it's very abstract, then it's rhyming, but only for two lines, and then yeah. it's back, you know, like, it's just, it's just an absolute grab bag. And it almost felt like he wrote the... Ins- He's so pleased with himself by the end. It almost sounds like he wrote the entire poem just to use the line. But yeah. now winter comes and autumn leaves. Yeah, and to be so fair, he's I did so think that, that was quite a good play on words. I did quite enjoy that. <laughs> Easily pleased over here. Yeah. Um, it also really tickled me that it transpires he has read out that whole poem to just a stranger that he's passed on his walk. <laughs> so because of the fact after oh, yeah. okay, thanks, bye now. That went well. Got a firm thumbs up because I just kind of assumed on my first listen that he's kind of said to somebody, can I read you a poem? And they've probably just carried on walking. So I just quite like that it, it kind of, it almost draws back and they're still there listening. Uh, so moving on, um, and there's further comparisons between Ramblers and uh, SAS soldiers. Uh, one um, enjoys uh, tea and a chocolate bar at the end of the, the day, and the other enjoys killing an Afghan man in a cave. I'll let you uh, work out which is which. <laughs> um, he also makes a, a, a miraculous claim that he taught Bear Grylls about rubbing a dock leaf on a nettle sting to cure it. Uh, Bear Grylls apparently told him, "Yeah, I know," but as Anna says, he doesn't think he did. <laughs> he genuinely thinks that's that's a tip that Bear Grylls had never heard before. Is that is that when he's um, he's also um, explaining his motto, "Plan for the unplanned eventuality." Or uh, or be prepared, as they say in the Scouts, "Adapt or die," as they say in the Marines. <laughs> Take your pick from those. Exactly that. Um, and in that spirit, we've got Alan's uh, clothing food system. Uh, does anyone want to want to kick us off on this? 
Uh, I've got the full list, and this is this is in preparation in case he falls down a ravine. Quite specific, um, <laughs> but that ravine that ravine scenario uh, is covered off because uh, in his uh, left shoulder pocket uh, there's a cheese triangle, and for <laughs> afters uh, there's two chocolate tracker bars uh, in his right shoulder pocket. <laughs> and uh, what I what I love about this, just drilling into the detail of his ravine survival uh, mode, is that he's planned for the eventuality of falling down a ravine and losing the use of both arms but the food he's chosen to stash in mouth opening distance is a foil wrapped (laughs) cheese triangle so how is that going to work and also again the situation is he's fallen down a ravine he's lost the use of both arms why has he planned a two course meal (laughs) he's also got dessert (laughs) doesn't make any sense oh yeah the 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 two penguins in his uh, knee pocket yeah. Which, which, oh, which, yeah. Shake, shaking two penguins out of his trousers. Which should slide out. And drinking but... some orange squash from his thigh. <laughs> but they don't work, and he gets a wet back. Not a fat back, crucially, so, a wet back. What would be the logical next step other than to break into someone's home? <laughs> uh, I like the way how he tees up this. He's talking about weekend bolt holes for wealthy Londoners. So, more classic Alan tropes there. It's the London hatred. Um, and he's also, uh, again, spinning a very complicated backstory based on what he can see through the windows of this home. So he spots uh, SAS books, he spots Samuel, Samuel Pepys' diary, Bill Bryson, Bill Oddie. Not a nice uh, little Bill Oddie reference there, subtle. Yeah, the guy's obviously got a brain, but then he spots three Jimmy Cooper books, which he decides must have belonged to the guy's <laughs> wife. He wanted to educate himself. She wanted a lifestyle. He wants knowledge. She wants things. Uh, I, uh, I, I liked when, when Alan's peeping in through the window, trying to work out who lives there. He says, when he's looking at the wellies, he says, uh, it looks like a man's welly, welly with an E, um, which is quite similar to a gag used in Nomad. Um, when Alan leaves hospital at the end, he's, when he's made the Veruca boot out of plastic bottles and Dawn says, uh, you've got a welly on and Alan thinks it might be pensioner slang for an erection. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah. That's good. That's good. Um, further investigation of the house reveals a dog basket, uh, takeaway boxes, which he says is all you need to confirm it's a divorced man. Um, he also says, you've got to go four miles before you find a curry house. You've got to be pretty desperate. I mean, four miles is very, it's a tiny distance to go for a curry, isn't it? Yeah, it's not that far. That's the joke, presumably. It's w- worth it if the curry's good, definitely. And then I wish that producer Jed was here for this next line. He says, oh, mac and cheese, fried egg sandwich. He's obviously not in a good place. Uh, producer Jed is a notorious egg bandit. So, uh, very upset Appreciate Adam. Egg he shepherd. also follows that with, I hope he's washing himself. Which also might apply to Jed, but he's not here at this, to defend himself. At this point, when, <laughs> at this point, when I was when I listened to this for the first time, I thought the plot twist was going to be that he's I don't know mistakenly looking in his own house. Like all of the things mm-hmm. that they were going through were kind of like they were all references that were kind of Alan adjacent. Mm. So I thought maybe the plot twist w- plot twist would be that it was actually his house and he'd got mistaken or something, or he'd end up meeting the person who does live there and become best friends with, or become really good friends with him. Like he always, when he meets people for the first time, he's like, he convinces like himself that they're his new best friend. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I thought it's exactly that. He's definitely projecting his own divorce experience onto what he's seeing here, isn't he? Because spag bowl, mac and cheese, fried egg sandwich, obviously not in a good place. Obviously the signs of a divorce is like, it doesn't mean that at all. Um, although turns out he is actually right. I always thought it was interesting when he's deciding, uh, what books belong to the man, what books belong to the, the ex-wife. He's like, uh, he's obviously got a brain and it's that kind of classic thing where 
it's like a male only ever reading autobiographies, just reading factual information, not reading fiction, not reading stories. And Alan's quite impressed by this. Um, but then <laughs> as he goes on after this, and he's talking about instead of working in the public sector and going on about Adrian's wall. So, you know, Alan's impressed by this show of intellect and then goes on by bollocking something up himself. Of course, it's not Adrian's wall. So an- another good kind of nice mispronunciation gag that you might not get first time round as well. I missed that. All oh, right, there we go. Uh, so he kind of um, moves in and uh, looks looks in the garage, and finds the door is open, and goes, "Oh, curious. Let's have a little nosy." Uh, I also like the next point that he makes. He goes, "It's great being an amateur sleuth." I'm like, "You're not a, you're not an amateur sleuth. You're basically a criminal that's trespassing at this yes. point. You've got absolutely no right to be in this person's home." <laughs> Oh, because he starts analysing the bike in the garage then, doesn't he? Tyres, yeah. flat, Corsair. Oh, yeah. He bought that when he thought he was going to get fit and win her back. Again, I think that's Alan projecting his past yeah, experience. Definitely. Yep. Um, the, the, the one bit I didn't I didn't think was that necessary was when, when he is caught in the garage and he says, shit, shit, someone's coming. I don't, I, the someone's coming felt a bit unnecessary. I mean, I know it's audio and perhaps they felt it needed signposting, but you hear footsteps and he says, shit, shit, that would have done the job. Someone's coming made made me think, oh yeah, I'm listening to fiction. I'd forgotten. But then for Alan second. is a broadcaster. I think perhaps he would be thinking, I need to illustrate what's happening with the power of my uh, broadcasting voice. Well, that's true, uh, very true. Also, yeah, the enough. homeowner, I have a sneaking suspicion and I haven't looked this up. I think that might be a Gibbons brother. It definitely is. I yeah? recognise the voice. Yeah, it definitely is. I'd... I'd... Put my house on it. It's 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 a given. Rob or Neil, which one is it? Reveal yourself. <laughs> Ooh, I'm gonna guess one of those two. Yes, one of the two. <laughs> <laughs> it's a solid guess. Um, it's it's someone else that recognises him as well. Mm. Although I think that's probably just because he lives yeah. locally, uh, not because he's a famous. <laughs> yeah, but broadcaster. that's great, isn't it? Because yeah. he's immediately Alan's like stopped panicking and he's like, oh, thank you. <laughs> and the guy hasn't even paid him a compliment, but of course, yeah. I guess in the bizarre twist of the world of Alan, merely by being recognised, that is a compliment. Um, and then it's time for the sort of appearance of uh, another fan favourite. He has to call Lynn to come and collect him because uh, he's he's become distressed and it's time to go home. Before we get into the detail of the Lynn call, did you guys make a note that Alan says, and this is kind of almost to himself, he says, less deliverance, more delivery, got to go do stand up. Yeah, he's like must do, must do stand up, oh, yeah. hushed yeah. under, yeah. Un, under his Think, breath. Uh, I, I'd be keen to uh, to hear Alan have a go at stand up, or, or see it probably better. <laughs> Because I don't think it would go very well. Uh, I think that would be very much like the car crash Alan is about to describe with Lynn. <laughs> very good. <laughs> <laughs> and let's face it, the car crash um, is in uh, unnecessary levels of detail. Uh, unnecessary levels of detail where Alan really does get into the specifics, and you can tell that Lynn is probably quite traumatised by this. <laughs> Although the one, the one thing I did like was um, to identify or, or to, to flag to Lynn where Alan actually is at this point. Um, he, he says that it's the point where Lynn got stuck in a bog and was lassoed out and lost her wellies, which belonged to her mum. Which for me immediately conjured up a very uh, strong kind of visual image of uh, Lynn being basically stuck in mud, mud and being lassoed out. <laughs> Uh, yep, absolutely going yeah. flying, and and a lovely reference uh, back to uh, back to her uh, the bereavement that she suffered. Mm. Uh, but what b- before the time of Iron Man and Partridge series two? Uh, yeah, her dead mum back in the frame once more. I think I'm gonna say that this is my this 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 section. The link call is brilliant, like the start of it, but the end of it 
probably the weakest part of the episode for me because it's I've, I've mentioned this on the podcast before it's my least favorite sort of trope of Alan when he goes into super like detail technical detail about quite a functional thing um it doesn't really do very much for me so I think this course starts brilliantly but it that end bit just doesn't really ever do it for me when it comes to Alan I think I kind of know what you mean because I think I did enjoy it and I think we'd probably all agree I think the reason this is great because it's brilliant that Lynn features but also kind of doesn't it's kind of like they've almost had their cake and eaten it in terms of like making the joke work because as a Partridge fan you don't need to see or hear Lynn for this to be funny and this interaction to work you don't need to hear what she's saying because you know what she's saying you you can imagine you can picture the other side of the call but I do kind of get your point as well Tom it's like the laboured kind of joke about Alan knows exactly how to describe what you do if you're driving and if you're in an accident it's like they could have cut that section in half and I think they still would have made the point right basically yeah what I do uh, like as well is that yes you don't hear Lynn but you do learn a bit more about how she's perhaps mm. changed mm-hmm. I think you can tell from the phone call she puts up a lot more resistance that's than a good normal. point yeah uh, I think she she would have she would have been straight in the car you know 10-15 years ago but she's asking him what the conditions are like before she agrees to pick him up uh, and giving kind of excuses for why she probably shouldn't come and, and collect him um, and uh, yeah uh, there's also a, a little bit of very straightforward innuendo when he's talking about um having teddy bear hands and saying you can you can suck them off as and when <laughs> See, I, I, I've, I've seen that line quoted uh quite a few times on on twitter the last few days about line them up on a shelf and suck them off as and when but i actually enjoyed the line before which is it'll be fine it'll be like having teddy bear hands for a month yeah that's absolutely fine <laughs> nothing to worry about <laughs> sounds great um, and a lovely bit towards the end where he uh, explains to the listener why he's going to walk away mm. for dramatic effect uh but uh, but then obviously you hear him run back to collect the uh, recording device as well, uh, so he scuppered his own plan. And he could and he could have edited that out is the crucial bit. Yes, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's that's what I love yeah, about of that. Of course. And then the final kind of uh, the final kind of payoff about him going to eat a big beef burger and watch Thunderball felt very I'm Alan Partridge era mm. Partridge, didn't it? In that it's it's a minor mm. bond. It's a uh, you know the fact he had to explain the burger is beef. You know everybody, you could have just called it a burger. Yeah. <laughs> like it. Some things never change. Um, I guess is it then the last bit with there, there's a very short audible outro as well, isn't there? Which they've obviously bolted on specifically for this. Yeah, it's only about thirty seconds or something. I don't think there's much to find here. Although there is the order pre-order gag again, and the thing about gamble ramble September, and then he repeats September just kind of off mic at the end, and that's. It kind of draws it to a close, doesn't it? Yeah, that bit's really good. I mean, September is kind of like Nesquilk yeah. and Draclia and things like that we've had before. And yeah, like you say, he sort of he just whispers September at the end and, and does it in quite a sort of strange way, almost like he doesn't want to beg people to pre-order, but he kind of feels he has to. So he does it in a weird yeah. voice and he's like, will you order on the 3rd of September? Will you? I want you to. <laughs> like very sort and of actually, rude. I think the because the, obviously he said September because he's trying to make a weird kind of rhyme with gamble and ramble, which doesn't work anyway. I guess the interesting thing about him correcting it, and he still has to leave in him saying September being correct on Mike, because it's that thing about he always strives for correctness and kind of having that having that last word and, and being correct. And we've talked about yeah, that he before, can't leave we? it yeah, yeah, incorrect. Yeah. So that brings us to the end of episode one of uh, Anna Partridge's From the Oast House. Uh, so let's uh, see what we all thought about it, beginning with Tom Stab. Well, I think having gone through it just now, like I think, and seeing your faces, there's you know a lot of laughs and a lot of quoting, and I, I think 
it's great to hear Alan back in the audio form. Like all of us are universally big fans of iPartridge and, and, and Nomad and, and Alan just works in the audio format. So, um, yeah, really excited to hear more. Can't wait for September. Uh, Tom Duck. I, I think from an from initial reaction, and I think I listened to it four times now before recording this. I think it was brilliant. I absolutely loved it, and I, I think the reason why I loved it, and I think why a lot of Alan fans do and will love it, is because it's it's that unrestricted and unfiltered access to Alan's inner monologue, which is something as fans I think we always want to hear, which also brings it closest to to the books and to the audio books, and even sometimes to to his stuff on Mid Morning Matters, which is a bit lower key. So yeah, I absolutely loved it, and I can't wait to hear the rest. I would just, um, I guess, add to that that I think that you've, and I think Tom Stab mentions this, that you've got like such high standards for the audio output. And I think that's where I did really enjoy it. And I think it's very, uh, you know, unfair to kind of review the whole thing. So obviously we've heard one episode. The only thing I would say about this episode is that I did feel it felt a little bit ill-disciplined and a little bit all over the place. And I kind of hope that maybe some of the later output is a little bit tighter and maybe includes other characters rather than just Alan solely. But as a kind of like you know start for 10 very much uh, enjoyed it and uh, keen to see where it goes i think just to that point about other characters i think if it just sticks to alan doing these sort of rambles for 20 minutes half an hour whatever they tend to be in september the i think some people have made this point on twitter that um the 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 conceit might get a little bit tiresome if it's just him so hopefully I mean, we might be wrong. It might just be Alan. It might all just be brilliant. But if it isn't just Alan, then... Uh, sorry, if it is just Alan, um, then that format could get a little bit tiresome. So hopefully, maybe we'll see some other people being slowly brought into the narrative. And it's interesting, I think, because I'm here saying I think it was brilliant and I loved it, but I do agree with you, Nick, that I think the unfiltered nature of what he's talking about for 18 episodes might become a bit of a drag. I think as the initial episode... This is what I actually liked about it because it is unrestricted and unfiltered. But I, I would be inclined to agree that if we have essentially six hours worth of this where there, there are no focused episodes, it might lose its impact a little bit. Um, I think what I love about this sort of latest evolution of Alan is that in some places within the confines of the APU, it's so close to actually being good it's sometimes just a hair's breadth from being a genuine piece of podcasting that works. And I think it's the, that sliver of difference between good content mm. or content that exists in the real world and what it actually mm. is, is what makes it so funny. And I think it's kind of similar to this time uh, is that it's, it's in danger of becoming so subtle that it loses a broader audience. And, and I'm absolutely fine. With that. I think that's, that's totally, that's great. Um, and, and I think as well, what I, what I always want with Alan um, is a bit more of a peek into his personal life. And so that's why I enjoy things like this time, but it's quite limited what you can do in terms of references mm. to, you know, what he does in yeah. his day-to-day -day business. So I, I'm glad we've got that back. Was that good podcasting or barmy old cack? <laughs> <laughs> Let's find out on September 3rd. <laughs> yes so people that have listened to our this time series will know that we add a little feature onto the end of episodes called predictor partridge which is where we in turn go round and uh, predict something that will happen in uh well it, with this time it was the following week's episode but with this we're just going to pick one thing and uh, we're going to make a prediction each now whether we think uh, or whether that thing will happen when the full series runs in september uh, September 3rd. So, uh, Tom, what's your predictor partridge? All right, I'm going to go big with this because I'll either be 100% right or 100% wrong. He is married to Angela. 
Ooh, nice. Adam? Uh, I've got a short-term prediction that in episode two, we'll discover the name of Alan's wife and a wild card prediction for the whole series, which is that none of the episodes will actually be recorded in the Great. Oh, house. that's really good. I like that a lot. Uh, Nick? Uh, this is potentially a bit bold as well, but I was thinking that we'll get a little bit more detail um, on either uh, Fernando or Denise, and I'm thinking that maybe Alan could be a grandfather. Mm, well, we know that already. Alan is a grandfather. That happened in Nomad. Hmm. <laughs> You've read it. You have read it, haven't you? Definitely read it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, new guess. Uh, his dog is seldom. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Uh, can, I, can I just also add in a stylistic thing? I would predict that we're never actually going to hear Lynn. She might appear more times, but I don't think we'll ever hear her. Yep. Yep, I think that's fair. Uh, and mine is uh, that I think something at some point will go wrong with the Oast House. So uh, roof collapse, flooding, a fire, something like that. <laughs> something will happen to the Oast House. Brilliant. Um, super. So, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll all find out collectively, I guess, on September 3rd how right we were. Um, but we've obviously uh, we've been through our opinions now of the episode, but we have plenty from you guys on social media. Uh, it's worth me mentioning if you do want to get in touch with us, uh, the ways that you can do that. So we're on Twitter at The Partridge Pod, Facebook.com slash The Partridge Pod. On Instagram, we're at Monkey Tennis Pod. Uh, it's The Partridge Pod at gmail.com on email. And The Monkey Tennis Hotline, if you want to leave a voice note, is 07923 uh, And plenty of you have, even though... At the time of recording this episode uh, of the Oast House has only been out for a few days. Um, so let's start on Twitter with Tom Stella. Yeah, so I get the good job of reading the positive feedback out. Um, so uh, first of all, we've got Darren Evans, who says, I loved it and can't wait for the full series. It felt slightly looser and in places a bit more ad-libbed than a lot of re- recent Partridge stuff. But it's still a superb slice of Alan. Hoops says his phone call with Lynn was magnificent. It could only have been bettered if we'd actually heard her voice too. Shame we couldn't, but I guess that's the purpose of the joke. Mandy F says, we loved it, especially the phone conversation with Lynn and the garage scene. Lovely stuff. Martin Greaves says, two trumps worked for me. (laughs) Yeah, can't fault that. (laughs) Mr S says, I was unsure if I could get into this. Uh, I'd not been sold on the ramblings of Nomad, but 20 seconds in, with Alan asking for his dog stick back, and I'm sold. Another back-of-the-net win for Partridge. And finally, in this section, Adrian Bavister says, This podcast was classic Partridge, really enjoying Alan deducing the details of the person who owned the home. So funny. And the phone call with Lynn was hilarious. Lots of laughs. I really hope they can maintain the standard. Um, I have the uh, honour of reading the less positive reviews, although I would say they're not too bad, to be totally fair. So um, David says, uh, I found it quite average. Um, it felt more along the tone of the recent TV uh, show rather than iPartridge or Nomad. The unnecessary singing um, is is quite strange. Uh, that said, uh, I might like it more on a second listen as part of the broader series. Um Peter Offerman's said, to be fair, I'm not overly enthusiastic. Then again, it took some time for me to enjoy this time, but I really like this time uh, now. Uh, that's probably AP's appeal. It gets better with every watch slash listen. He evolves, but he doesn't revolve <laughs> or vice versa. 
Stephen Warren says, anything new from Alan makes me happy, but I don't think this is Coogan's best work. Having said that, I may still pre-order, open brackets, which is the same as order, close brackets, the <laughs> series. And finally, uh, Mike Perry says, surprised by how positive everyone is being, I'm tempted to say I enjoyed it, but that would be bullshit. Um, which makes me think <laughs> that that is an opportunity to provide a quote on Alan rather than an actual uh, critical review of the episode. Which does happen quite a lot. <laughs> it happens yeah. loads. Yeah. Um, moving over to a broader cross-section of society on Facebook, uh, we start with John Richards. He says, After the hit and miss of this time, this very much feels like the spiritual successor to Welcome to the Places of My Life. It hits that sweet spot of classic mid-morning Matters Partridge without having to pay the fan service of mildly annoying forced catchphrases and slapstick that Partridge had fallen into before the Gibbons brothers took over. Overall, a great first episode. Uh, Marlon Slack says back to form after the lukewarm this time paired back Partridge I'm curious to see how they'll extend the format in the future as much as I'd love to hear more of his inner thoughts he really comes into his own when interacting with others I think a more narrow focus could also have helped maybe a podcast series interacting with locals on his rambles leaving business people of the Norfolk area or something like that Uh, and Jamie Atkinson said after the enjoyable this time proved Partridge was in great shape this opening podcast was hilarious very funny especially the rant about cyclists and the confrontation with the homeowner my worry is that 18 parts might spread the concept a little thinly, but overall a good taster. Hope they get a few of the regular characters making guest appearances. And continuing with some of the Facebook feedback, Matt McClellan said, Lovely stuff. Several times I laughed out loud. It's a brilliant evolution from his one-off specials uh, and Mid-Morning Matters. It's a natural medium for the work of the brothers Gibbons. Loved the incidental jingles and his looking through the window segment. Nicholas Blaser wrote, just an observation, I also listen to Adam Buxton's podcast, and he always talks about his rambles with his dog in Norfolk. There's a bit at the start of this that almost sounded like a dig at the great Dr Buckles. And then remarkably, we have a message from somebody calling themselves Chicken Crackling. They write, that's it, just strip back perfection. Mid-morning matters, the books and this podcast can run on forever. The way he brought Lynn in and educated her through skid correction was wonderful, and she could make an action appearance, so could Simon without it feeling forced. The likes of this time are too complex and not needed. Why, when a line like leafing through the fat socks is all we need, bravo. And Dave Atherton also wrote on Facebook, excellent, excellent partridge, I thought. I think this is the best possible medium for the brothers Gibbons and Coogan. Pure, unfiltered partridge, talking himself into all manner of fabulously expressed nonsense. So there we go. That's what Twitter and Facebook thought. But what do gamers and perverts think? Here's a comment from Reddit. Uh, Webs30 says, thank you and very thank you. I thought it was ruddy good. As a huge fan of the audiobooks, I have a really good feeling that this podcast will be just as good as them. Particularly enjoyed the partridgisms and callbacks like mooing, which he's now done three times mm. in the APU, and treating Lynn badly whilst mansplaining mm. a car crash. On the whole, very good effort. Nine on ten. Lovely stuff. Cashback. Uh, entirely fair points. Very much agree with you, Webs30. Um, so if you've got feedback on uh, on the Oast House or any other part of the APU uh, you can get in touch with us on all the methods I mentioned earlier uh, if you're calling the Monkey Tennis hotline on 07923 600 please do leave us a voice note uh, in as high a quality as possible and we may feature you on a future episode um, anything else to add on the Oast House? Just a quick note um, obviously we've, we've read quite a bit of feedback out there but that was kind of 
maybe about a third of all the f- feedback that we got overall. So just to say a, a big thank you to everyone who did take their, take some time to, to leave some feedback. It is very much appreciated. It gives us content to read out. Um, but also it shows that, you know, we have a, a, an audience that is willing to sort of really listen and engage and write some very erudite thoughts, I thought. So uh, thank you yeah. very much for those. I think it's it's really interesting to know what other people think of it and get, get a gauge on generally how the uh, new new pieces of partridge are being received definitely um, a couple of quick bits before we go um, if you've enjoyed listening to monkey tennis we're coming up to our 100th episode i think now um and uh we are very much appreciative of your support uh, if you'd like to shout us a cup of coffee you can go to ko-fi.com slash monkey tennis uh and buy one of us a coffee for three pounds you can specify who it's for if you like um or you can be very generous and get all five of us one uh, but all your support is greatly appreciated um if you're feeling stingier than that at the very least join us for the quiz um, it's going to come up on Wednesday, June the 24th at 8pm uh, on our YouTube channel. Just search Monkey Tennis Podcast on YouTube to find that. And we'll be on facebook.com slash thepartridgepod for a fiendish six-round quiz uh, recorded in lockdown. So, yes, please do get your teams together and join us. Get your blazers on, get your ties on, get your Toblerone out, ready your lady boys, and play along with us, basically. Not the first time you've said get your Toblerone <laughs> out, is it? All your lady boys. <laughs> I was on Reddit at the time. (laughs) And on that perverts bombshell, uh, thank you so much for listening and we look forward to uh, bringing you some more uh, tales from the Oast House in September. We'll also be back next week with a roundup of more of your feedback from the Alan Partridge universe uh, and a reminder about our quiz, which we're very excited about. Uh, But for now, from all of us at Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast, thanks and goodbye. Jed, I want you to come and get me. Jed, I need you to come and get me. (laughs) Bring, bring. Aha! Back of the net. Monkey tennis? In no way, you big spastic, you're a mentalist! Damn! Sorry, that was just a noise. Monkey tennis? I got, uh, really drunk last night. Sick everywhere. Monkey tennis? Uh, minor criticism, more distance between the eggs and the beans. Monkey tennis? I wish things had turned out differently, but I'm glad they didn't. Monkey tennis? Where's my assistant? I do not know. You're unpacking. Basically, Beef tea. Yeah, 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 yeah. Are you on an E? Monkey tennis? Can I have a glass of water, please? Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save 